little gospel this morning. I'm going to be honest with you, though. Y'all don't move very well. There's only like a couple people. I mean, even if your spot's just like right here, some of you guys just need to go there, all right? Just go there. Just let it happen. How can you hear that song? I'll be like, hum. Well, hey, guys, glad you're here today. And uh, today we're going to talk about a subject that relates to everybody in this room, everybody who's ever existed. I know that our kids are with us this morning, and so this applies to them too. We're going to talk about the topic of temptation. Now, I've read an Indian legend about a young Indian warrior who went into solitude to prepare for being a man. And to prove his manhood, he put on a buffalo hide shirt and threw this blanket over his shoulders, and he set off to climb a high mountain capped with snow. And when he reached the peak of the mountain, he overlooked everything, and his heart began to swell with pride because of the accomplishment of climbing the mountain. And he could see as far as the eye could see. And then he heard at the, by his feet the rustle of, of something, and he looked down and he noticed it was a snake. But before he could move, the snake spoke. I'm about to die. It's too cold up here, and I'm freezing. There's no food, and I'm starving. Please put me under your shirt and take me down to the valley. No, no, said the young Indian. I am forewarned. I know you're kind. You're a rattlesnake, and if I pick you up, you will bite me, and I will die. Not so, said the snake. I will, I will treat you differently. If you do this for me, you will be special. I will not harm you. The youth resisted for a while, but this was a very persuasive snake with beautiful markings. So at last, the youth tenderly tucked the snake under his shirt and carried it down to the valley. There he laid it gently on the grass. Then suddenly the snake coiled, rattled, leapt, and bit him on the leg. But you promised, cried the dying youth. The snake said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. Now the Indians used that to warn their young people against the dangers of drugs. I want to use that story today to warn you against the danger of temptation of any kind. Once you become a Christian and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are on top of the mountain spiritually. But be forewarned, there is an enemy who would tempt you into following him. And Jesus said about him that he is bent on destruction, that he has deceived you from the very beginning, and that his entire purpose is to bring you down. James chapter 1, verse 12. James said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial or temptation. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is a prize, there is a reward for enduring temptation. First he said, you're blessed. In other words, you're happy. Happiness comes when you know that you are free, that you are forgiven, and that you have withstood temptation. And yet he also says you'll receive a crown of life. Literally in Greek, that means you'll receive life itself, life now, life everlasting. But the question is, how do we do it? Since it's something we all face, how do we endure temptation? I just want to share with you today, I think, four things right out of this text that are going to help us. And one of them is just be aware. The Bible says in verse 13, when tempted, when tempted. In other words, every single one of us are going to be tempted. He didn't say if, he said when. Every single person is tempted. You're tempted. I'm tempted every day. And there is a misconception that goes, maybe the longer you're in Christ, the less you'll be tempted. Maybe the more mature you become in age or in faith, the less you'll be tempted. But that's not true. In fact, Jesus himself was tempted. 
And the Bible says that really the devil hounded him. He came after him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. All of us. Some of you are caught in a compromising situation now. But it's liberating to know that every single one of us face temptation. Being a Christian is difficult and Paul writes about it this way. He says in Romans 7, verse 21, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin that works in my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Paul was talking about after he became a Christian, he is still battling with temptation. And all of us will, even Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that Jesus was tempted. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus, the Son of God, tempted in every way. Now, when it says every way, that means Jesus was tempted with pride and greed and tempted to lie and tempted with lust and tempted to give up all of his dreams and just take the shortcut. He was tempted in every way that you and I are, and yet he was without sin. And Jesus just told the devil, hey, I'm not going to bow down and worship you. He just gave him the word of God back to him and said, this is what the word of God says. I will not follow you. And the Bible says that Satan, while he was resisted, it says that he left Jesus, quote, for a more opportune time. Meaning he kept coming after Jesus again and again and again. And if Jesus was not exempt from temptation, you and I are not going to be exempt from temptation either. So be aware. Secondly, accept responsibility. Don't blame other people for your problems. We love to blame people, especially God. Verse 13 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Listen to that. God does not tempt anyone. Will Rogers used to say that he would summarize American history this way. There was the passing of the buffalo, and then there was the passing of the buck. And we are in a society that does not accept responsibility. We blame society, blame the government, blame the environment, blame heredity, blame your parents, blame your spouse, blame the devil, even blame God. This is the story of Adam and Eve, isn't it? I mean, here's the apple, here's the temptation, you will be like God, the devil tempts Eve, we like to blame Eve. The truth is that Adam, the Bible says, was standing right there. She was tempted, she fell, and then when they were found out, and God confronts them, and Adam says, God, this woman, so he blames his wife, that you gave me, that you gave me, so he blames God all in one sentence. He blamed everybody but himself. Some people say it must be God's will, or then I wouldn't have had to face the temptation. That's called blaming God. I had one guy tell me one time, God told me to leave my wife and go marry somebody else that I met at church. That's blaming God. Don't make your bad choices and then blame them on God. God does not tempt. He never contradicts his word. 
God is not going to tell you one thing and then have the Bible say something else. If the Bible says something and you say something different, you are wrong 100% of the time. Be responsible. Be mature. It's a sign of immaturity in the faith when you say God told me something that's in direct contradiction to his word. The fact is we bring most of our problems onto ourselves. We bring them on ourselves. And if, I, if we're ever going to break bad habits, then you first have to be realistic. And you have to say, this is not somebody else's problem. This is my problem. I don't want to make excuses. And the third thing I think we do is we have to be on our guard. Always be on guard. When t- temptation comes, be ready. Be prepared. Peter says, be on your guard. Jesus said, watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. Be ready. First, or James chapter 1, verse 14 says, But each one is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. We need to be ready and prepared for temptation. Temptation does not warn you in advance. That's the reason it's called temptation. It just comes when you don't expect it. And one of the things I've learned is that sometimes it happens on the heels of a success. So there's a great success in your life, and on the heels of that, there's some tremendous temptation that happens. It's unexpected. I think of Bobby Leach, who went over Niagara Falls in a barrel, and he came out unscathed. Two days later, he unexpectedly slipped on an orange peel, and he broke his leg. James is saying, you've got to be ready for anything, anytime. How do you prepare? I think one of the best ways to prepare militarily is to know your enemy, and one of the best ways to prepare spiritually is to know your enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, In order that Satan may not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. What are his schemes? Been the same for 2,000 years. James outlines them. Here's the first one. He says, Your first is by your own evil desire. For, verse 14, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Instead of blaming God, it comes from this evil desire within us. It's an inside job. Most desires are okay, unless they're out of bounds. How many of you know food is okay? Can I hear a hearty amen? That's right. It's okay. It's all good. Uh, Food is good. Sleep is good. Drink is good. Uh, Intimacy with your spouse is good. To accomplish something is good. God gives you those desires. Those are good desires. They're good gifts. But any desire out of control or out of bounds becomes destructive. Satan loves to take the good gifts of God and turn them in to things that will be destructive in your life. You become consumed or obsessed by them, by food or by work or having fun or sex or money. Legitimate desires. But when they're out of control, they become a problem. Temptation is like steel to a magnet. It draws us to that thing. And while there may be a good desire, when it's out of bounds, it becomes destructive. So there's desire. The second thing is deception. When he is dragged away and enticed. James uses a couple of words from the sports world here. He says when you're dragged away like a hunter who is literally snaring something in a trap and then drags it away, and the word enticed comes from those who are going fishing, and they use a certain lure to, to, to bring the fish in. And one of the things I know about fish is they are dumb. And when we used to have a little pond out behind our house, we would put some bait on there. Literally, I could see the fish from the little dock area. And if I wasn't just going for bass or something, just going for a little bluegill, I would put it down there, and a bluegill would take whatever the bait was. It would grab the hook. It would be so enticing. 
and I would pull that little fish out, and I'd take it off the hook. I would drop it down. I would watch it swim in the very same area, drop the very same bait, and wouldn't you know that dumb fish would grab that bait one more time. And I, I always was amazed. They have the, the gift of, like, forgetfulness. They're, mo- they're like Dory. They forget. And, and this is the way it is, I think, for us as well. Because I can tell you today, the same lure that attracts you is the same lure that attracts you every time. This has been experienced in my own life. It's experienced in your life. The Bible calls it the devil has a foothold. What that means is there usually is not ten things. There usually is one or two things that grab your attention, and they grab your attention over and over again. There is desire. There is deception. The devil makes that look appealing. And thirdly, there's disobedience. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. What begins in your mind results in your actions. It starts in your imagination. The battle begins with your thoughts. It moves from your thoughts to your actions. First, the devil gets your attention. Then he changes your attitude. Then he gets you to commit the action. And he knows that if he can get your attention long enough, he has a good chance of getting you to actually fall to that temptation. So what is in your mind today? What is in your desire today? Advertisers know this well. If they create enough desire within you, you're eventually going to buy that product. The enemy knows this too. If he can create enough desire in you, eventually you're going to fall to that sin, disobedience. And then finally, death. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. I used to have a, a preacher friend who used to say, this is the devil's LSD, because in the King James it says lust which is desire, leads to sin, which leads to death, lust, sin, death, the devil's LSD. And that's what happens when the devil tries to grab your attention, that there are always tragic consequences, devastating results. What is death? It's the opposite of living. If you overcome temptation, you find life, a crown of life. The wages of sin is death, but there is free life in Christ. But there is spiritual separation from God. When you fall to that temptation, and that if you fall to it long enough, that ultimately you find yourself in a place where you have separated far from God. James says we're free to choose the way you want to live, but you're not free to choose the consequences of your behavior. God gives you freedom of choice, but his consequences are up to him. Now, if we're going to overcome temptation, I think we have to understand the awful consequences of sin. The Bible says that that what you reap, you also uh, what you sow, you also reap. It also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes it's just fear that causes you to stay out of temptation and, and sin, right? A few years ago at the North American Christian Convention, a man stood at the podium and shared his testimony. He's known in ministry, but he almost committed suicide years ago before he became a preacher. He was addicted to gambling. Nobody knew it. He was working in a bank. He embezzled money from the bank, and eventually the bank examiner found an error and could see that it was going to come, he could see it was going to come crashing down around him. And so he left his wife a suicide note, took the gun, went out in the car in the middle of the night to a lonely spot on the road, and put the gun next to his ear and took a practice shot over his head. It was so close to his ear that he impaired his hearing. And then he put the gun to his temple, cocked the hammer, but he could not pull the trigger. He ultimately came home that night after driving around all night long, came back to the house in the morning, confessed his crime, went to jail, 
paid his debt to society, got his life right with the Lord, and today he's having a fruitful ministry. Why didn't he pull the trigger? He said, one reason, I was scared to death of standing before God. He said, my life was so far away from God at the time, I was terrified of facing God as my judge and where I was in my life. Sometimes fear is the one motivator that gets people to live on the right way. It's the thing that motivates them to to live the way that God wants them to. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow the flesh of the flesh, you will reap destruction. If you sow the Spirit, you of the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Wherever you sow, whatever seed you sow, you know you're going to reap a hundredfold more. Those of you who are into gardening, you know that. If you sow righteousness, you will reap abundantly more in the harvest. If you sow evil, you have multiplied many times over in pain. Here's the principle, and I wish I could etch this on your mind today. The pain of reaping always exceeds the pleasure of sowing. The pain of reaching, reaping always exceeds the pleasure of sowing. There might be instant pleasure in sin, but eventually the pleasure is gone, and the harvest of pain is in excess. There can be depression or loneliness or disease or guilt, inadequacy, separation. So be forewarned, if you take that snake into your jacket, and it it will bite you. Now, in order to overcome temptation and break a bad habit, we've got to be aware. We've got to admit that we have an issue. We have to be willing to say, I'm going to accept responsibility. This is not God's fault, it's mine. We have to always be on guard. And then finally, in verse 17, I find it very interesting that James turns the attention from the temptation or from the sin onto God. And in verse 17, James switches gears. And we are, too, as we talk about changing your attention. If temptation begins with our inner thoughts, then we have to change what we think about. And that's the principle of replacement. That's the key to overcoming temptation. That the key is that you not fight with that temptation and simply focus on that temptation. Instead, turn your attention towards something else. Shift your thoughts. Change your mind. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be the kind of first fruits that he created. In other words, think about God and his goodness in your life. Philippians 4, 8, Paul writes it this way, that you need to think on these things, things that are right and noble and true or positive and just and honest. Focus your mind on the goodness of God. Why? Because the more that you focus on his goodness in your life, the less of the temptation will draw you. Don't focus on what you shouldn't have. Focus on what God wants for you. Turn your attention on Him. Be refocused and realize the scripture says that we are reborn through the word of truth, that the word of God as it speaks to our heart, it reminds us what God has already done. So guys, listen, if you're a chronic worrier, it's not just the circumstances in your life. It means you're doubting the goodness of God in your life, that God actually has the ability to cause good out of your situation. Whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever you resist, persist. Stop fighting it and just refocus on God and His will for your life. How do you get out of depression? Not by looking at what 
you are and telling yourself what you are, that never changes you. Focus on what you want. Focus on the goodness of God. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And it's a choice. I will love the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Put God's word in your mind and refocus on him. And when you refocus, turn your attention toward him and away from these other things. Maybe some of you need to change the channel on TV or walk out of that movie. Maybe some of you need to change jobs or change your carpool. Joseph, when he was tempted, he, he took his coat and he left it there and he ran away. He remembered that principle that bad company corrupts good character. You know your weakness, friends. You know where you struggle. You know that lure that draws you. Is it my appetite? Is it spending? Is it my words? Sometimes we downplay that maybe your temptation is in how you speak, whether it be rumors or gossip or lying or just negativity. Is it regret? Is it drinking? Is it lustful thoughts? What is the area that Satan knows that's your hot button and he's going to lure you? You've got to be aware of that, and then you've got to turn your attention to something else. I tell you what I'm so thankful for, though. I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful for his forgiveness. The Bible here says every good and perfect gift is from above, and then he chooses to give you a new birth. That he chooses to renew you and give you forgiveness. And it's one of the greatest gifts. I remember many years ago when Lisa and I were in a really critical moment in our marriage. And we went to a counselor together in um, Colorado. And the counselor said, guys, just take today and just go spend some time out uh, in God's beauty. And study the word. Spend time together. We did that. And I remember that I chose to walk into one of those mountain streams uh, where the water comes off the mountain from the snow. And I walked out there, and there was a rock out there in the middle of the stream. And I just sat on the rock and took my Kindle and read in the Word of God. I was beating myself up over some things and not really receiving God's forgiveness. And in the middle of that, I was reading scriptures about God's grace just like flooding over us, washing our sin away. And I was reminded as the water of this mountain river was rushing past me that God's forgiveness is like an ever-flowing stream that never stops. That it just comes cascading down in an endless supply. And some of you today need to receive God's forgiveness in your life. There's a cycle of sin in your life. You, you do something, you feel bad for doing that, and therefore you feel so bad you do it again because in some way that fi- is the only relief that you find. And instead of refocusing your attention on the, the washing and rebirth that God offers, you focus back on the temptation. Some of you today need to receive that forgiveness and the grace that only God can provide. That should be your attention. That should be your focus. And in order to kind of help you through that, I brought a video today of some individuals who talked through their challenges and how they received God's grace. Watch this.
of the greatest antidotes to temptation is this. And some of you are living there right now. Where you remember the burden of sin. Think about that for a second. What did it feel like when you were in the moment of sin and you feel that burden or where you face the consequences of those sin and you feel this overwhelming burden? Remember that feeling right now. Versus, what does it feel like to be forgiven? What does it feel like to be free? What does it feel like to have God's grace in your life, that water of forgiveness rushing over you? What does it feel like to have that burden lifted? One of the greatest ways to avoid temptation and sin is to remember the difference between the burden of sin and the freedom in Christ. And some of you today, you need the freedom that Christ offers. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that he re, you are reborn, and some of you need to be reborn for the first time. Jesus said, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you won't enter the kingdom of God. And so some of you need to accept Christ for the first time. You need to be baptized into Christ, born of the water. You need to be born of the Spirit where God renews and refreshes you. And it starts over again. There's a forgiveness and a grace extended for you, not just for your sins of the past, but any sin you'll ever commit. And some of you today, this needs to be your day to do that. And for some of the rest of you, for the majority of you today, there might be something in your life where you're carrying or holding on. And you say, God, I need to be born again. I need to be reborn again, refreshed, renewed, restored. And that comes when only you fall humbly before God and say, God, what is the message you have for me today? God, I need your grace. God, I need your forgiveness again. We should be repenting often because so many times we fall to those temptations and it requires us to just go, God, I don't want to live that way. I want to live righteous. I want to live right. And so for some of you, this is going to be a quiet moment while we're worshiping, a quiet moment of reflection and repentance. For some of you, this is going to be a moment where you need to grab somebody next to you, a friend. You say, would you pray with me? Because there's something I need to confess or just pray with them quietly. Or some of you may want to talk to me about it. There's nothing special about me. Nothing special about the role I play. You don't have to go through me to get to God. Um, Jesus does that. But if you want a friend who will pray with you over something, I'd be happy to do that. If you want a fellow sojourner to, to join with you in asking God for his mercy in your life, I'm happy to do that with you. And some of you need to make that decision, and I'm going to be waiting up here today. If you want to accept Christ as your Savior, this is an opportunity for you to say, hey, I'm going to walk before my brothers and sisters here, and I want to say yes to Christ. So let's stand together. God, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for the washing, re renewal, rebirth, God. And Lord, we thank you for moments like this, moments of reflection, moments of grace. And God, I pray that your, your grace would flood and wash over us today in a very strong and powerful way. And we ask in your name.